With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome in in defense of the Big 12 on the Landry Football Podcast Network. Tyler McComas, Brad Kellner. I'm in Norman. He's in Austin. And we are still celebrating. BK and I actually have not slept since the announcement, announcement came down the pipe that the Big 12 is going to move forward with the fall 2020 season. God, we, we recorded on what, Tuesday? Mm-hmm. And we told everybody, like, in the next 48 hours, it's going to get real and not really sure what that exactly means, what's actually going to happen. But the Big 12 stepped up. It was the linchpin in all of this for college football. Big 12's moving forward. Seems like the SEC and the ACC is going to do the same. Hell, we've got schedules out now for all yeah. 10 teams. League. That's how real this thing is right now. We've got um, crowd capacity announcements. That's how real this thing is. So much has happened over the past 48 hours. But I'll start with this, Brad. I, uh, I honest to God, even with just a 10-game schedule and not a 12-game schedule, and hopefully we have a college football playoff, I don't care. I think this, this is the most excited I've ever been for a college football season. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. I mean, we just haven't known if there was going to be a college football season to get excited about, right? Usually the month of August, we're ramping up. We're getting ready for college football. We only have baseball on TV, so we're just we're craving some other sports. And we're so used to football, so used to preseason going on in the NFL, so used to training camp going on in college, just counting down the days to the season opener for college football. And obviously this year has been completely different in so many different capacities. We just haven't known if there was going to be college football. And uh, the news yesterday is, is great news. If you're a college football fan now, look, anything can happen, right? I mean, they can still decide two days from now, two weeks from now, hell two weeks into the season uh, to pull the plug on this thing. If there is outbreaks and outbreak, multiple outbreaks across college football, uh, this thing, uh, this thing could be halted in relatively short order. But I'm with you. It kind of felt like the SEC and the ACC were sort of waiting on the Big 12's announcement to to decide what to do for themselves. And obviously, we've been waiting on pins and needles for the Big 12 announcement just to see, you know, if there is going to be at least a plan to have a college football season this fall. Right, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 with their announcements earlier this week, they said, nah, there's not even a plan as of right now to have a season this fall. The Big 12 giving the announcement yesterday says, no, that's our intent to proceed and to have a college football season in the fall of 2020. Uh, It was great news if you're a fan of any Big 12 team uh, across the country yesterday, no question. I And I I just so happy that they came to that conclusion. And Bob Bowlesby, I've said some snarky things about you in the past. I've made fun of you in the past. 
I've imitated your voice in the past, but I'm here to say that you are now my favorite person on the face of this earth. Because, <laughs> but in, in, isn't that crazy? Like for for the narrative that the Big Twelve has, and it's not good nationally, if we're being honest. Yeah. Isn't it kind of interesting that they are essentially the conference that made this entire thing move forward? Again, like we're not out of the woods just yet. You and I both realize that we're not out of the woods just yet. But we're in a pretty damn good spot and in a much better spot that we've been in in the past couple months. So for the Big 12 to be that conference is is fascinating to me. I, I thought it would have been Big 10, SEC, or even ACC. But no, here's the Pac-12 – or here's the Big 12, excuse me, making everything go. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I was a little bit nervous over the last couple of days when I started to realize that it was Bob Bowlesby who held the fate of the entire college football season. And that's a little bit of a scary thought right there, that it's the Big 12 Conference, who you're right, Tyler, who's had a reputation for, you know, not being great, not being able to handle things as well as some of these other Power 5 conferences have. I mean, let's be honest, and we touched on this a little bit on Tuesday, the Big 12 is known for being reactionary instead of proactive. And it's cost this conference many a times in the past, right? You look at the last round of conference realignment, the Big 12 kind of sat back and allowed other leagues to poach teams from its league. And not and, and the Big 12 wasn't active, wasn't proactive in trying to add other teams. It's one of the reasons why some people think, oh, maybe the Big 12 is going to disband within the next five years because they just don't really do stuff in a proactive manner. So, you know, I was nervous. I was really nervous. But I think this is a case where the reactionary nature of Bob Bowlesby and this Big 12 conference, the kind of wait and see decision making that we generally see from him uh, actually bodes well. Right. You just have to give yourself as much time as possible to make the right decision. And I think that's what uh, that's what the Big 12 did. Right. Bob Bowlesby consulted with his medical team and talked to the presidents, talked to the chancellors across this conference. And that was the decision that was made. So, yeah, it's very rare that uh, waiting this long bodes well in favor of one of these Power Five conferences. But uh, it seems like that's the case for the Big 12 right now. A conversation that I think that we can put to bed. uh, We hinted around with it on Tuesday about the possibility of it. Nebraska's not coming to the Big 12 this year. Nebraska's not playing football at all in the fall of 2020. They really, it it looked like they tried to go through some back channels to try to find a way. There was a report that North Dakota State and Nebraska were interested in playing one another. But the statement gave today, like, all right, yeah, okay, cool. We're we're loyal to the Big Ten. That's where we want to be. I just, it, it was a cool thought and a cool theory, and it seemed like it had a little bit of a steam, a little bit of steam behind it for the Huskers. But um, I, I think that that's all but dead now. I mean, not only Nebraska yeah. joining the Big Twelve, but anybody joining the Big Twelve for this year. Yeah, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense for a couple of reasons. I mean, especially when the Big Twelve announced a couple of weeks ago that they were going the plus one schedule, right? The nine conference games plus the one non-conference game. I mean, once they did that, to me, that kind of put to bed any legitimate conversation surrounding whether it was BYU, whether it was Nebraska, whether it was anybody uh, finding a way to join the Big 12. And then yesterday, I mean, once they released the official schedule, like at that point, you got no shot, right? I mean, the schedule's already out. They're going to try to roll with that thing as best they can. Uh, There was no chance that Nebraska or BYU was getting added. It would have been funny. It would have been cool maybe for a year uh, just to have the Cornhuskers back in this conference. And, and it seemed like for a while you would look at the quotes from their, from their AD, from Scott Frost, from their president kind of feels like they're not that happy with their situation in the big 10. And 
Well, to be quite frank, I'm not sure the Big Ten is happy with uh, what Nebraska has brought to the table since they joined the conference a little bit less than a decade ago. Uh, it would have been interesting, would have obviously reignited some old rivalries and brought us some pretty intriguing matchups this year in the Big 12. But yeah, as uh, as fun of conversations as uh, as that has been for the last couple of days and weeks, I, I, I never realized it. And look, Bob Bowlesby had always kind of kicked it to the side whenever he was asked about it. Never seemed like there were real legs uh, to those rumors. And now, yeah, it feels like they are completely put to bed. It is interesting, and it might be interesting to watch what happens with Nebraska moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is their relationship yeah. with the Big Ten forever scarred uh, because of some of the stuff that's been said over the last couple of days? And obviously, they were one of the two schools, I think along with Iowa, that voted to have a college football season this fall, right? It was a 12-2 to vote against playing college football by the presidents of those Big Ten schools. Nebraska was one of the two that voted to try to have a season this fall. So I don't know what their relationship is long-term, and maybe for the next round of conference realignment, maybe Nebraska might find its way back into the Big 12. Uh, that's uh, That'll be something to look out for down the road, but for right now it uh, looks like they're stuck not playing this fall. Yeah, and I, I think that this really stunts Nebraska's growth as a program under Scott Frost. They're really just trying to make some strides. And it's interesting for this podcast because in 21 and 22, they play a home-and-home home with Oklahoma. They come to Norman in 21, OU goes to Lincoln in 22. It's what, the 50-year anniversary, I guess it would be, of the game of the century in 1971 that Nebraska won over Oklahoma the year Johnny Rogers won the Heisman Trophy. So... Oklahoma was going to be the better team in both of those matchups, but probably even more so now that Nebraska's, I mean, I don't think that they're going to get to play a spring season. So they yeah. may lose out on an entire year playing football games. So that's, um, I think that that's really, really going to stunt their growth. How about, you know, hey, dude. Yeah, can go, I ask yeah. you a question real quick? How many, how many games of the century are we allowed to have in the 20th century? Dude, the okay. So. There's a Texas-Arkansas game in 1969 that is yes. uh, referred to as the game of the century around these parts. I'm sure – you go around the college football country and you've got five or six other programs. Hell, it could be 50 or 60 other programs who are laying claim to a game of the century at some point in the 1900s. How, uh, how does this work? Well, dude, it's just like people claiming national championships in the sport, right? Like 1950. Tennessee claims the national championship in 1950. No. Kentucky c- claims the national championship in 1950. Oklahoma claims the national championship in 1950. Hell, Oklahoma State about three years ago was like, you know what? I think we won it all in 1945. What do you guys think? Yeah? Yeah. All right. Yeah, we yeah, we, we went ahead and split with Army in 1945. But that is funny. Like the 2000 OU Nebraska game, I think, was even labeled as the game of the century. So I just, yeah. Oh, the first year of the century, we're already labeling a game. We were already claiming it. Yeah. That's yeah. the right there. That is uh, – <laughs> Oh, man, that is bold. You're saying this game played in the first year of the century is going to be the best game of the next 100 years. That's uh, that's funny. I mean, I would if love to get it, a bunch of yeah, old men. Yeah, claim it. Yeah, just get a yeah, bunch of old men the first claim it, man. In there and, and, like, have a discussion of the game of the century and uh, see how petty see how petty that gets. I bet you'll have some fisticuffs at some point uh, at the end of that meeting. Why don't you get the ball rolling in Austin on your radio show at the horn? <laughs> That Texas UTEP is the game of the century this year. I mean, no one can deny it, right? Texas UTEP, game number one this year in Austin. It's the game of the century. Yeah, you can't take it away from you. Go. 
Hey, it'll feel like the game of the century, man. Any any college football man. this year will feel like the game of the century. And uh, yeah, that announcement became official. You know, you had Big 12 athletic directors across this conference. I know Jamie Pollard at Iowa State was one of them, basically hinting towards like, hey, September 12th is going to be the sort of uniform date for that one non-conference game across the Big 12. Now, not every school has announced its official opponent or the official date for that non-conference game, but uh, you saw Texas do that. You've seen uh, Iowa State do that. You've seen some other schools do that as well. So that's less than a month away, Tyler. I mean, today's August 13th, so on September 12th, less than a month from now, we are slated to have some Big 12 football games being played, which, yeah, we'll feel uh, we'll feel like game of the century stuff considering how much – has had to be overcome uh, this offseason. I got a surprising stat for you. So okay. in week one of the Big 12 this year, Oklahoma State opens up with West Virginia. Um, I think Oklahoma State's going to be pretty good this year. Not so much for West Virginia. I would expect OSU to win their conference opener this year. If I'm right, and if they do, it'll be the first time since 2015 that Oklahoma State has won its conference opener. Is that a little bit surprising to you? Because it was shocking when I heard it yesterday. Yeah, considering how much success Oklahoma State has had in this league, right? I mean, I know they've had uh, a couple of down years recently, but considering the 10-win seasons, the number of 10-win seasons Mike Gundy has had, and considering just how in contention they usually are down the stretch into this conference, uh, that is wild that it's been, what, five years since they've won a, a Big 12 conference opening game. But yeah, well, I think it'd be a huge problem if that streak doesn't snap this year. Right? Right. I mean, that's, that's one of the more winnable games in this conference is West Virginia in year two of Neil Brown. I think Neil Brown's a heck of a coach. I think he's uh, going to do good things in Morgantown, but a lot of turnover, four and eight last year. I mean, plus they just fired their defensive coordinator, Vic Haining, uh, a month ago, which is unbelievable timing. Uh, it'll take some time for West Virginia to get things going. They've got some good players. The Stills brothers on that defensive line are legit. Those dudes are uh, next-level yeah. Sunday players. They picked up Tony Fields, the grad transfer from Arizona, a, a guy that Texas fans really, really wanted, a guy that I think is a big miss for the Longhorns on the grad transfer market. But Tony Fields, a three-year starter at Arizona, a guy I assume is going to plug and play and compete for a starting job uh, in Morgantown this year. There's some pieces there, but I mean, Oklahoma State picked second by the media in this conference. They're one of the favorites in this conference. Uh, that's a game that they have to win if they are a legitimate threat to win this conference here in 2020. Yeah, yeah 2019, they lost their conference opener at Texas. That ended up being a pretty good football game on Saturday yeah. night. 18, they got rolled by a very average Texas Tech team at home. 2017, they lost to TCU at home. 2016, they lost at Baylor. The last time OSU won their conference opener was 2015 at Texas, a 30-27 football game there. Um, speaking of Texas, uh, open up on the road at Lubbock, which it always seems like Tech and Texas are pretty late in the year, like late November. So the fact that they're playing this early in the season is pretty surprising. How do you – did the Big 12 really redoing the schedule do Texas any favors? I think it did. I really do. And I think you can look at uh, maybe the top – three contending teams in the Big 12 and say there were some favors done at least by in terms of bye week schedule right I think Texas Oklahoma and Oklahoma State all have three conference games by week three conference games by week three conference games which I think that uh, that bodes pretty well for those three teams and I wouldn't be surprised if there was uh, some strategic planning going on by the Big 12 and efforts of trying to get one of those teams or ensuring 
that one of those teams is going to make the playoff. Now, the chances for a Big 12 team to get in uh, just got a lot higher, obviously, with the Big 10 and the Pac-12's announcements earlier this week. So feels like the winner of this conference, if there is a normal four-team college football playoff, feels like just about regardless of what happens at the top of this league, whoever wins this league is going to uh, have a shot to play for a national championship this year whenever the playoff happens. But in terms of your Texas question, yeah, I, I do think it bodes well for Texas at the start. Originally, the Longhorns' first two conference games were going to be at K-State, which has been a huge problem for Texas. Yeah. I mean, they, they won in Manhattan the last time they played there two years ago, but before then, you have to go back to when LeBron James was in high school, the last <laughs> time Texas had beaten Kansas State in the Little Apple. The purple kryptonite has been a real thing for the Longhorns, and K-State uh, has a winning record against Texas, the only team in this conference to really claim that. So that would have been a tough one. And then the second conference game would have been against OU, which obviously OU's won this league five years in a row. That's uh, that's as tough as it gets in this league. So with the flip around, with the switcheroo, with the schedule, you've got at Texas Tech, which, you know, it's, it's in Lubbock, but you're talking about 25% capacity-ish. Yeah. Uh, that won't be as hostile as an environment. And, and Texas uh, doesn't really – I mean, they've lost out there, okay? Yeah. But, like, Oklahoma's lost a decent amount of times out in Lubbock. But Texas seems like there's really close games out there, but they always kind of win out there in Lubbock. Yeah, Texas hasn't lost in Lubbock since uh, – and sorry to do this, Texas fans, but since the Crabtree game. Ooh. You know, wait. Uh, that one still hurts a lot and always will hurt Texas fans and tech fans are always going to love that one, but no, it's been a while. I mean, considering like the, the rivalry, the rivalrous nature, I don't know if that's a word, but, uh, considering how much these two teams don't really like each other and uh, how much animosity there sometimes is between these two fan bases and how amped up tech fans get at Jones AT&T every time the Longhorns come to town with the tortillas flying. Uh, it is a little bit surprising that it's been that long since Tech has beaten Texas in Lubbock. Now, in Austin, has been a different story, but you're right, Tyler. So I, I feel pretty good about that. Now we'll see what happens. Matt Wells here, too. Uh, Alan Bowman is healthy to start the season two years ago. That guy kind of took the Big 12 by storm a little bit with the way he was playing. Yeah. But then you've got that game, and then you've got TCU at home. Now, Gary Patterson, as you talk about purple kryptonite with K-State, that's kind of what TCU has been for Texas mm -hmm. as well. I mean, Gary yeah. Patterson has owned the Longhorns in this last decade, and he is proud of it, man. He will he will talk about his uh his animosity towards Texas, man. He enjoys beating Texas. So did he write I'm a song about it yet? An acoustic version? <laughs> yeah. Hey, if it's as catchy as "Take a Step Back," man, I'll uh, I'll be listening to it, even if it is bashing Texas. I'll uh it'll be stuck in my head for a little while. But I mean, you're talking about opening the season with a, a four win Tech team and a five win TCU team from a year ago. Versus yeah. opening up with eight win K State and double digit winning uh, twelve win Oklahoma, so I think it does bode a little bit better for Texas to give them some time. Obviously, the UTEP game should be the tune up. Now at Tech and TCU are not easy games, and if you don't have your you know what together, uh, you could slip up and lose either of those games. But uh, if you're a Texas fan, uh, I think that gives you a much easier start to the season just to make sure you've got everything figured out. Uh, hopefully by the time that Oklahoma game comes around on October 10th. I hope there's some uh, long sleeve turtlenecks in the Texas equipment room because it is nice to not have to, bam, go to Manhattan. But dude, they're going to Manhattan on December 5th. And I've been to a lot of cold places in my life, but I've never been colder ever than the few Big 12 championship games I've been to in Kansas City. So the fact that mm. Texas has to go to Lawrence on November 21st 
and Manhattan on December 5th. God, that's gonna that's like weather wise, those are two brutal road trips. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, that K State game could be for a lot in December 5th, but yeah, obviously, you move the Big 12 schedule back uh, a little bit. That was the original date for the conference championship game. Now you've got the regular season coming to a close, and you're right. I mean, that's gonna be cold up there, uh, in Manhattan. I'm trying to think of the coldest I've ever been for a Big 12 game. It, It honestly might be in Waco. Tyler, really? as weird as that sounds. Oh. Yeah, the the de facto Big 12 title game in 2013. Mac, Mac Brown's last year. regular season game or Max last yeah. year? Yeah. When OU got upset by Oklahoma State, and that turned the Baylor-Texas game in Waco at the old Floyd Casey uh, into, a, into a sort of conference championship game, right? Before there was a Big 12 title game, uh, Baylor won that game, obviously, and and route to a second conference championship for them under under Art Bryles. But man, it was so cold there; like the wind chill was in like the low teens, which that's uh, that's very rare around these parts. And I remember I was driving; I was a college student at the time, or uh, was I a college student? How old am I? I was a college student at the time, and uh, man, we were driving back to Austin after the game, and I was just sitting in the car for thirty minutes, letting my hands thaw out, like I couldn't feel the steering wheel. It was so cold out there. So random sidebar. I think that's the coldest I've ever been. Uh, that game was, I think, early December, but that was in Texas. It's a completely different beast uh, having to go up to oh, the no, Little man. Apple and potentially dealing with that uh, that Midwest cold uh, in early December. That could be a, a tough one for the Horns, no question. I, I mean, without a doubt, 2003 Big 12 Championship, OU Kansas State at Arrowhead. I, I pray to God that I'm never that cold again in my life because that was <laughs> – Maybe the 35-7 final score, like, added, like, 10 degrees to the temperature or, you know, took it down 10 more degrees. I don't know, but that was uh, – man, that was that was a miserable night. I, I am kind of bummed with Texas' schedule that they're not going to Stillwater for the last regular season game of the year yeah. because I think the teams are going to finish second and third. And I thought that that was probably going to be whoever wins this game um, is going to the Big 12 championship. But I think that maybe that even – that game being moved helps out Texas quite a bit because there would have been so much on the line. I know home field advantage probably isn't going to matter like it, like it usually does. But last game of the year, Oklahoma State's at home. Here's everything. Like The fact that it's moved to middle of the season, I think, helps Texas a little bit in their chances yeah. in that game. Normally a uh, Halloween night game in Stillwater would scare the hell out of me. But nothing is really normal this year, right? We don't know, and maybe this is subject to change. But I know OU sort of made the the announcement yesterday that they're looking at twenty five percent at Gaylord. Yeah. I, I assume Oklahoma State's probably going to be the same. So yeah. yeah, only dealing with the quarter of uh, of T Boone Pickens stadium full uh, makes that a little bit easier. And yeah, you might be right. You might be right. Like I, I'm a fan as a Texas fan. I think the the schedule change bodes well for the Longhorns. Now, am I sitting here saying are they going to go ten and zero or nine and one? No, I mean, there's still some good teams in this Big 12. It's still pretty much the same uh, – well, it is the same schedule in terms of who you're going up against in this conference. So there is some uh, tough games for the Longhorns. But I think it is spaced out pretty nicely. Once again, with the bye weeks, as I mentioned, right, you've got three games that are bye, three games that are bye, three games. But also, the three other, at least on paper, toughest teams in this conference – Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State, the teams picked first, second, and fourth in this league. You've got those all split up into different quadrants. So you've got Oklahoma in that first three-game, I don't know if I can call it a quadrant, I guess, uh, trifecta, whatever. you got Oklahoma yeah. in that first stanza. We'll go with that. 
You've got Oklahoma State in the middle stanza, and you've got Iowa State in that third stanza. So you don't have to deal with, like beforehand, Texas's last three games were TCU, Iowa State, and at Oklahoma State. Like that would have been a very, very tough end of the season, but you're able to split up a lot of those really, really tough conference games, or at least the toughest ones on paper, which I think uh, could bode well for the Longhorns too. I got to tell you, man, whereas I agree with you, I think the conference did Texas a favor here with their schedule. I don't think that they did Oklahoma a favor with their schedule. I mean, you got to open up with Kansas State, the one team in the conference that that beat you last year, and that's going to be Spencer Rattler's second start against a team that's got a returning quarterback that has shown flashes, a defense that's going to be pretty physical, pretty tough. So that's a unique challenge in itself. Then your next three games are at Iowa State, Maybe this is the best Iowa State team we've ever seen. Certainly, that's on the table. Mm-hmm. you got to play Texas in the Cotton Bowl, which Texas turns into the 85 Bears every single time that they enter State Fair Park there in <laughs> Dallas for whatever reason. And then they got to go to TCU, who if Max Duggan turns into a pretty good player and limits the turnovers, I think they got the best defense in the Big 12, and they might have an offense that's pretty good, right? And, and TCU could be sneaky good, so – that's how you come out of the gate with yeah. the freshman quarterback and a beat-up wide receiver core is at Iowa State, Texas in the Cotton Bowl, at TCU. Oklahoma has zero, count them, zero home games in the month of October with the schedule. That's bizarre. Forgot about that, right? You got the game uh, at the Cotton Bowl, then the bye week, and then at TCU, at Texas Tech. That is crazy. Wow. So I got to ask you this, Tyler. I mean – because this was a big story that hasn't been talked about. There's been so much else going on around this conference and just around college football and around the entire world, obviously. Uh, But what about the suspensions for Ronnie Perkins, uh, the best defensive lineman on Oklahoma, the guy who's on the cover of the Phil Steele magazine this year, Uh, Trejan Bridges and Ramondre Stevenson, two weapons on the offense for Lincoln Riley. I'm pretty sure the suspension for those guys was five games. Any word mm-hmm. on is that going to be shortened? Is that going to be reduced because there are fewer games this year? Because uh, you mentioned it. OU's got a pretty tough start to the season. Not having three pieces like that could uh, could be huge for the Oh, season. dude. Yeah, I mean, that's not just three guys who, eh, they sparingly play. Like Ronnie Perkins is your best defensive player. And, I, I, I mean, to your question – Yeah, in a normal season, it would be five games, which would still mean that they would miss the Texas game this year. But, um, I I mean, even if they say three games, then you're still missing the Iowa State game. I I would say that it's likely that it's reduced down to four. Um, But even if it's four, you're still missing the Iowa State and the Texas game. I I would guess that you'll probably see Trajan Bridges, who is a former five-star receiver, Ronnie Perkins, your best defensive player, and Ramondre Stevenson, at least your second best running back, wouldn't play in those first four games of the season, Man. which is big time. And to add to that, to add to that, in Ronnie Perkins' absence, in my opinion, Jalen Redman is the best defensive player on this OU football team. And he got a DUI a couple nights ago. So yeah. do I think that he's going to miss four games this year? No, I mean – He'll probably miss the Missouri State game and be back for the Kansas State game. But, I mean, who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens out of that. So, OU's in a very, very interesting spot where Caleb Kelly is already out for the out for the year with another torn ACL. They've got a couple players already beat up, too, that may be out for the year. So, it's like they have to – like, they better be ready to play from the get-go because the month of October is 
brutal for them, man. It really is brutal. Yeah, what's your stance on the OU defense? We don't have to like fully dive into this because there's other conference news, notes, and nuggets to get to. But, I mean, because of the injury to Kelly and Trey Norwood and the suspension to Perkins for the first few games, I mean, Alex Grinch did a phenomenal job, in my opinion, in year one. I mean, it was a night and day difference uh, from 2018 to 2019 for Oklahoma. I still think it's going to be a couple of years before he gets this defense to where exactly where he wants it to be. Uh, but, man, he's being dealt a, a pretty rough hand, at least to start the year. Yeah, it, he definitely is, man. And the thing that he's always preached from day one is turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. OU's been so awful at creating yeah. turnovers for the for the past few years. And so he's preaching that, emphasizing that. And so you think automatically, oh, that just means OU's finally creating turnovers, and it's going to happen in 2019. I think they created 11. Yeah. Like, how is that? How is that possible that you only create and turnovers with the defense at times? That was pretty good. So they've got to figure out a way to get teams to turn the ball over. Like it seemed like Jalen Hurts was turning the ball over two times each game last year, and the OU defense wasn't getting any. And that's not really a recipe for it to win. Even though they they did. Last year, yeah. Now nah, we'll uh, we'll see what happens there. I think they're going to create more takeaways this year. I I'm a big believer in turnover margin. Like that stuff is just not yeah. not necessarily oh, yeah. continuous, right? It usually changes year by year. It's it's kind of incredible that Oklahoma was as good as it was last year, despite the the bad turnover margin and the lack of takeaways. So uh, I think that will increase a little bit for the Sooners this year. Uh, what else, though, Tyler, in terms of just going around this league, looking at the fully released conference schedule, fully revised conference schedule that was released yesterday, probably uh, a better way to put it. I mean, any anything stick out to you? Anything, any major changes that you think could determine uh, the ultimate outcome of this league and who's playing in Arlington for the conference championship game, either on December 12th or December 19th? I mean, what, what's crazy about this year is I think that Iowa State – I do think Kansas State, of course, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I think TCU and I think Texas. I think there's a realistic chance that six teams out of this conference can play for a conference championship game this year, make the conference championship game. So obviously not all of those teams can end up eight and two with this 10-game schedule, but I'm just trying to figure out who the wild card's going to be. And I'm struggling between TCU and... Um, and Kansas State and Iowa State. So I'm looking at Iowa State's schedule, and it's not an elimination game per se, but Iowa State-TCU in week one is actually a pretty big game there in Fort yeah. Worth because the winner of that one really does have a leg up on challenging for that number two spot in the conference this year. Yeah, I like that a lot, actually. That is a uh, that is a big game. And Iowa State picked fourth in this league and. You know, will they take the next step, right? They finished tied for third in each of the last two seasons. Matt Campbell has done uh, a phenomenal job. And I we were, we were talking about this on Monday on the Horn Down in Austin, just how good Matt Campbell has done since he took over in Ames. He's had three straight winning seasons, which hasn't happened at Iowa State since 1976 to 1978. Hmm. Uh, three straight Big 12 conference winning seasons as well. Iowa State only had one of those before Matt Campbell got there. And, of course, this league dates back to 1996. So they had one before Campbell. They've had three in a row with Campbell. And, once again, 
the last two years, Iowa State has finished top three in this conference. Since 1959, there's only been five Cyclones teams that have finished top three in the conference, and two of them are Matt Campbell teams. So he's done phenomenal work. Like I, When I say what I'm about to say, it's not taking a shot at Matt Campbell by any stretch of the imagination because he's done better than anyone in my lifetime by far as the head coach of Iowa State. But can they take that next step? Are they going to take that next step? Are they always going to be the, you know, eight and five, seven and or eight and four, seven and five type of team that's mm-hmm. always going to be a game short of getting to the Big 12 championship game? I think we touched on this maybe last week, right? Two years ago, the game in Austin, uh, which kind of turned into a de facto Big 12 semifinal because yeah. Oklahoma State upset West Virginia. A game in Austin. I know Iowa State had David Montgomery suspended for the first half, and he was a huge part of their offense. But man, Iowa State came out flat. Like they looked horrible. I was at that game, and I'm like, really? This this is the team that's uh, been hyped up that I like. We're all excited about. Like Matt Campbell. This is the coach. This guy might be a Michigan in a couple years. Like this guy's. They were terrible in that game. I was like, at some point, are they going to flip the switch and actually be good? Uh, it just didn't happen. And then last year, they had some opportunities. Obviously, the game in Oklahoma, the game in Norman really hurt, but just a couple of games that they let slip away. Like, is that going to be Iowa State? Are they always going to be close but no cigar? Or can they actually take that step? You brought it up earlier. Uh, This might be the most talented Cyclones team that we've seen in a long, long time. Can they actually take that step and get to a conference championship game? Or is the peak for this team just kind of that tied for third finish? History tells you that they're going to get to that game maybe, and they're going to fall flat. I mean, Seneca Wallace is probably the best player that they've ever had in their program's history. 2002, they come out blazing. They almost beat Florida State and Kansas City. They kick Nebraska pretty good, and then they play Oklahoma and Texas in, what, late October, November, and they get crushed by both teams, right? So they don't even make a conference championship game that year. I think 04 and 05, didn't they have a chance to play in the Big 12 championship game like the last game of the year in both of those years? And kicker missed it wide right. That's why they call it like wide right, natty light up there, something like that. So yeah, 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 yeah. It's like they are cursed to where they can get to that big game for them and just totally find a way to just crap it away. So yeah, and that could be that could be Texas this year. I mean, that's the second to last game of the season for for Iowa State. Uh, I mean, West Virginia at home is the last game. You'd think that's a game they could win uh, if it really matters, but. I mean, a game against K-State on November 21st and then the game here in Austin on November 28th, that could be big for Iowa State. But to go to your original point, Tyler, at TCU week one, Oklahoma week two. I mean, Iowa State could yeah. be 0-2 and out of it, yeah. right? Like right mm-hmm. then and there. I mean, if they go if they go 7-2 and in the league, I'm sure they'll be fine. But I, I wouldn't bank on uh, if you start 0-2, finding a way to, to rile off seven wins in a row, especially when you have road trips to Stillwater and to Austin. Uh, still on the schedule. So I'm with you, man. I'm with you. That is a a huge game for them. And I'm glad you brought up TCU. I want to talk about them for a little bit because, I mean, they're tested right out the gate too. They've got three really, really difficult games, four really, really difficult games uh, to start the season with Iowa State at Texas, Kansas State, and Oklahoma. I mean, look, TCU, five and seven last year, but the last two times Gary Patterson has had losing seasons as the head coach in Fort Worth, he's bounced back with double-digit win seasons. And the last time they lost uh, more games than they won, the year after that, they played for the Big 12 title with Kenny Trill and company. I hate that I just called him Kenny Trill. Sorry. Yeah, that. that hurts, right? Mm-hmm. That's I an know. A&M thing, man. You I know. know. I know. 
I know. I wonder if he hates that at this point. But didn't his family try to trademark it after that really good South like, Carolina win? He had, yeah, with the with the Aggies uh, at uh, college, man. But yeah, I mean, because I, I like, I want to be high on TCU and just history with Gary Patterson. I think that defense is loaded. Uh, they got the best safety duo in the country with Washington and Morig. Uh, Garrett Wallow's a hell of a linebacker. Maybe some questions on the defensive line, but like I think that defense is really good. There are some weapons on the offense, even without Jalen Rager. There's still some talent at the skill position spots for TCU. But with Max Duggan, he was he was just bad last year. I mean, he he showed signs right against Texas. He was really good. Uh, there were signs where it's like, okay, we've got something to work with here in Fort Worth, and eh, maybe it's just growing pains, right, for a true freshman uh, having to go up against us uh, some really really good teams. Maybe that's why. That's why uh, things were as bad as they were. But, man, I mean, you would love for TCU to have a little bit of a, a feel-out period in uh, in conference play this year, and they just don't have it. So Max Duggan, he better be ready to roll early on, or otherwise TCU could be looking at another losing season or at least a, a round 500 type of season, which would be very, very disappointing. It feels like the conversation with TCU is so similar than the conversation that we just had with Iowa State because – yeah, TCU has two tough games right out of the gate, as does Iowa State. I, TCU can't go 0-2 or they're done. Yeah. And, and much like Iowa State, TCU's going to have to. TCU goes to Austin, but they do get both OU and Oklahoma State at home. They've got to win at least one out of those three. Same thing with Iowa State, right? They get Oklahoma at home, but they got to go to Stillwater and to Austin. They have to win at least one of those games, potentially even two of those games, depending on what they do elsewhere to make it to a conference championship game. So yeah. Iowa State and TCU, like the way that their schedules are set up just seems so it's so eerily similar to me. And maybe the story of their year is so – I mean, it, it, I really think that, that that week one game between those two, it's like, okay, here's the team that's ready to be the dark horse and surprise, and the other one's just going to kind of – you know, fade away unless they go on like a 4-0 run throughout the next several weeks. Yeah, I like that. TCU's non-conference game, by the way, Tennessee Tech. How'd they get Dude. out of SMU, man? Are you kidding me? I know. They, well, I mean, they, what, what's they even the best string on that? Like that's – because the Big 12 came out and said the non-conference game has to be a home game, right? hmm And, I mean, I, I guess the TCU-SMU game, the battle for the iron skillet, as they call it, a phenomenal name for a rivalry – that game was supposed to be at Gerald Ford Stadium at SMU. So I guess that's how TCU got out of it. But, uh, man, that's – But SMU said, hey, we'll come to Fort Worth this year. I we'll know. I know. They're like, hey, you that's guys a huge bummer right there, man. I guess uh, they wanted that tune-up game. They wanted that easy victory before before Big 12 play. I don't, I don't know if I blame them that much, but yeah. it's a huge bummer for college football fans who have been robbed of marquee non-conference matchups this year. And I know it's a bummer for SMU fans, too, who are looking to go back-to-back uh, -back against TCU this year. But you're right, man. I mean, they better be ready. It's the same conversation for them and Iowa State. They got to be ready right off the jump. Otherwise, uh, this thing could slip away from them pretty quick. I mean, the non – and I don't care because I'm just glad we have football. Yeah. But the non-conference slate for this league is bad. Uh, yeah, TCU plays Tennessee Tech. But, I mean, like, what's the best game, OSU and Tulsa? The best game might be, honestly, Tyler, it might be Kansas and Coastal Carolina because that's a revenge game for the Jayhawks. That's a revenge game for KU. Like Coastal came in there, I think it was 12-7 to 7 was the final last year. They, they field gold the Jayhawks to death. And for a while it was, uh, I mean, it was New Hampshire for Kansas to start the year. Then they got moved to Southern Illinois. 
and now it's Coastal Carolina again. And I'll tell you what, the Jayhawks might be shaking in their boots to have to deal with the Chanticleers one more time. If you're looking for like a, a game that could be intense down to the wire in the non-con this year in this conference, it might be the Hawks and the Chanticleers, as, uh, as crazy as that may sound. God, I cannot wait for KU and Coastal Carolina. That's how that's right. <laughs> I mean, only- considering, considering how few games are going to be on TV, like, oh, yeah. Discussing this a little bit yesterday, and I'm sure you guys, if you haven't talked about it, you will at some point. Like, what's going to happen on TV this year with no Big Ten and no Pac 12? There's going to be so many open broadcast slots for college football. Like, you might have a random, you might have Kansas and West Virginia as a, a, a primetime nationally televised game this year. Just because you've got two of the Power Five, and obviously no Mountain West, and and no uh, no MAC, and no WAC, like you're you're missing so many conferences, you might have a ton of prime time uh, Big Twelve games, and even some of those non-con games could be in prime time this year, just in desperation to fill spots. So here's the here's the joke around here. I don't know if it's the same in Austin or anywhere else in the Big Twelve, but OU plays so many 11 a.m. games. It's it's truly remarkable how many 11, especially home games, and people get so pissed around here because <laughs> you just don't get the same experience for a home game at 11 a.m. The local vendors don't get the same business as they do for 11 a.m. So, like, people, like, legitimately get pissed about 11 a.m. games around here. Like, they, they really do. So the joke yesterday was, okay, well, Fox's big game is Big Noon. Well, who's on Big Noon? The Big Ten's on Big Noon, and the Big 12's on Big Noon. I said yesterday, I said, I guarantee everybody that OU Kansas State in week one is going to be 11 a.m. in Norman (laughs) for Big Noon. Is that is that like a big thing in Austin too? Do do fans get pissed about the 11 a.m. games? So it's so weird. The answer to that is yes, but it used to be like bad teams would get the 11 a.m. slot. And, And that was Texas, and it's been Texas for the last decade. And like you couldn't be that mad at, at the TV networks, like scheduling the Longhorns for 11 a.m. or the Big 12. It's the Big 12 who does it. Like, like Texas is just not that good. They're not really in contention late in the year, so we're just going to put them at 11 and put the better teams at night. But then recently, it's been the opposite with the big noon kickoff, and apparently those games do better in the ratings, which blows my mind, right? I don't know how that's possible. I mean, you and I, and, and like diehard college football fans, anybody watching this podcast is probably watching college football from 11 a.m. to like 1 a.m., uh, on Sunday morning, right? Pack 12 after dark. That's a way of life, baby. Like that's, that's a must. I'm not going to the bars until the last Pack 12 slash Mountain West game is over. Like that's, that's how we do it. But yeah, the last few years, it's, it's been the best teams get moved to that 11 a.m. time slot. Obviously that's been Oklahoma for the last five years in this league. So yeah, you guys uh, have gotten screwed. And I think uh, Texas fans hate it. Everybody hates the 11 a.m. game. I mean, this year it won't matter as much, right? Because Oh, tailgating won't be as prevalent. I get it does suck to have to wake up at like five or six a.m. And some oh, people, God. like diehard tailgaters, will just camp out and stay out overnight uh, and get ready for those eleven a.m. games. But it does suck. I mean, we do it for Texas OU or OU Texas, whatever y'all call it every year. Uh, and that's that's usually an eleven a.m. game. And man, it is like because you go out Friday night in Dallas, and then you got to wake up at like six or seven a.m. and just get after it. Uh, to have to do that as often as as you guys have and a lot of teams have in this conference, it uh, it kind of sucks. This year, maybe not as big of a deal though. With uh, I assume a, a lack of tailgating going on. Yeah, yeah. I 
yeah, OU hasn't announced what they're going to do with tailgating, but Oklahoma State's not having any tailgating this year. Uh, just real quick, I don't want to veer off subject too much, but I, I just have always laughed how, at least from the OU side, I don't know what they say on the Texas side, that, oh, there's no way we can play a night game at the Cotton Bowl between OU and Texas. People would die if that happened. People would die of alcohol poison. Like, nobody's going to die at the damn Cotton Bowl. I mean, it would be an unbelievable and pretty lit atmosphere. I mean, it already is for an, uh, for an 11 a.m., but yeah, people act like if you move it back a few hours, there's going to be like dead bodies all along the fair from alcohol consumption. I'm like, get out of here. It wouldn't be that bad. Come on. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the fear, and I've been I've been promoting a, a night Texas OU game for so many years, and maybe this shows the lack of heart that I have, Tyler. But I think the fear is more of the people outside the state fair, right? Because the state fair is not in a great part of Dallas. Right? Yeah, that's it's a very dangerous part of town. So like the fear is, all right, you put that game at night, you got drunk Texas and Oklahoma fans. And obviously half of those fans are going to be extremely pissed off based on what happens at the cotton bowl. You've got them leaving in a bad part of town. And also I mean, parking at the state fair is a nightmare. People will park 30, 45 minute walks away. So you're just, uh, you're asking for a rough situation but this would be the year, Tyler, would it not? I mean, no fans at the Cotton Bowl, no state fair of Texas this year would suck so bad. But, like, that's the issue, right? It's always fan-related, right? The fans are going to kill each other or it's a dangerous part of town at night. You don't want people walking around there if they don't have to be. Like, why not? I can't imagine it happens. But if you do it one year, why not make this the year where you have uh, the Red River shootout as a night game? Just see what it looks like under the lights. That would be a hell of a lot of fun. I am. I've been preaching that for a while, even with all the dangerous circumstances. This definitely should be the year they make that happen. By the way, Brian Davis of the Austin American Statesman he tweeted out that a Fletcher's corny dog stand will be open October tenth, just for the uh, Texas OU crowd. And he's also hearing that the Texas State Fair is looking at trying to do a mini midway, which would signify to me that there's going to be fans at OU Texas this year. How well, many? We don't know. I mean, unless the players get to ride on the midway at halftime or something like that, and the pregame meal is corny dogs, it would signify to me that some OU and Texas fans will be there. Hey, sign me up for that 100%. I did see the Fletcher's corny dog stand, and I was confused. Like, who's who's that going to be open for, right? The state fair itself is closed, and I assume that meant no fans. But, look, we do know the state mandate in the state of Texas is 50% right now. Now, Texas, TCU, Texas Tech – I think Baylor, too. I, I'm not sure. Baylor announced yesterday 25%. Okay, awesome. Perfect. So 25%. All the four Big 12 schools in the state uh, are doing less than the than the governor-mandated rule right now, which I, I'm on board with that. I mean, obviously, I'd love 100% fans. But, man, putting putting 45K at DKR uh, it just seems like a recipe for disaster, right? It seems like there's no way to really enforce social distancing with 50%. Who knows if it's possible with 25%, right? That might be a little bit of a pipe dream, but – Smaller numbers is obviously a little bit safer. Uh, if it is 50% or if it is 25%, that would be awesome just to have some semblance of an atmosphere there. It would be pretty hilarious to see those wide shots uh, on TV. And just, I mean, it'd be usually neither side completely leaves early, but there are some blowouts every once in a while. It's, yeah. it's pretty few and far between, right? And sometimes games will look like a blowout, like in 2018 when Texas was up three touchdowns on OU early uh-huh. in the fourth. And you had like a couple fans leave, but you know, Oklahoma comes back, the three quick touchdowns, turns into an instant classic. Usually you don't have fans leave early, but the whole game is going to be like, well, 
one side's losing 55 to nothing here. Uh, but it's going to be like that on both sides if it's only 25%. So I don't know if there are fans in the stands, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get up there, man. Cause I think I've been to the cotton bowl for that game eight, nine years in a row, mm. which is a streak that pales in comparison to some of the diehard Longhorn and Sooner fans out there. Right. I mean, I, uh, I'm sure you know people who've been to that game 40, 50 years straight. Oh, yeah. uh, it's just a way of life. So if there's a way to keep that streak alive, I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I can to to make that happen and definitely get me a Fletcher's corny dog, no question. I've uh, only missed one OU Texas game since 2003, so I've got a pretty good streak here. So what, it happened? Weird. what happened? Why'd you miss that game? 2006 was the game. Texas won 28-10, I believe, and. Just certain circumstances as a 16 year old. Like, if you're like 16 years old, I mean, theoretically you can, but there was no way that I was going to drive my ass down to Dallas as a 16 year old kid for that football game by myself. So, just certain circumstances didn't lead to it. But, uh, yeah, I've, uh, it would be totally weird going to it for so many years and you can attest to this and then watching that game on TV. It would be totally strange just not being there, even if there's like, 20,000 fans in there or, or, or whatever. Hey, well, one last one last thing on the schedule. And again, I'm like super jacked that we're going to have a football season this year. But the one depressing thing is that, God, we're getting robbed of Halloween night games. Like Texas is at Oklahoma State on Halloween night. That would have been, that would have been nuts. Mm. OU is in Lubbock, Texas on Halloween night. And I know that Lubbock gets a really bad rap. I understand that Lubbock gets a bad rap. I love Lubbock on game day. I love going to the Jones. I I think that they are the most rude, terrible human beings of people that go to school at Texas Tech. They are, God, they are just, they're mean. They're like the spawn. There's like 30,000 spawn of Satans out there at the Jones on Saturdays. (laughs) I love Lubbock on a game day, dude. I'm like the only person in the world that does. And I would have loved to have been able to go out there on on a Halloween weekend when it was that crazy. But that's the only thing I'm bummed about is no, no full stadiums on Halloween night. Yeah, I hope there are no tech fans watching right now. You just call them spawns of Satan, man. I, I can't imagine they, no, they love take that. Pride in that. If they're if yeah. their students are like, yeah, we are. Oh man, yeah. dude, Lubbock. That, that, this is why you and I are friends, and this is why we do this together. Because I Lubbock is like one of my favorite cities in the world. It really is. <laughs> and it, the biggest reason is because like half of my high school from the Metroplex went to Texas Tech. So yeah. I would go like the two times Texas played in Lubbock during my college career I went, but also just like random weekends I would go up there and look I, I could I could never go to school up there no chance I couldn't spend four years there and I think uh, a lot of tech fans a lot of tech people are like yeah there's a reason we get out of there as soon as we can like we don't we don't stay in Lubbock after school right we go there for school we go there to the party sometimes it's five or six years and we just get the hell out of there but Lubbock is a a fun city and you're right man on game day. It's a, a hell of a lot of fun, and they are loud. They are raucous. That is a, a an incredible atmosphere, an incredible incredible environment. And you're right, man. I mean, those would be two huge games, right? Obviously, whenever Oklahoma comes to town, any team in this conference is uh, is a little bit juiced. But you know, Texas Tech is that game being on Halloween night would have been crazy. And then, yeah, you talk about Texas Oklahoma State. Uh, I mean, we saw what, two years ago, the game in Stillwater. It was right around Halloween, but it was homecoming for Oklahoma State. It was a night game. They were wearing the Barry Sanders throwback uniforms. Like, that atmosphere was ridiculous, man. Tom Herman almost fought Mike Gundy that night. Yeah, Yeah. Herman was fighting Mike Gundy. Like, that was an incredible game uh, in in an incredible atmosphere. 
So, yeah, that one under the lights and considering all that's on the line, right, a lot of people think that might be uh, the battle for the second spot for the conference championship game this year. That would have been nuts with uh, with 100% capacity at Boone Pickens. So, you're right, man. I mean, that's we'll take it. We, we're not complaining at all, right? Any college football season, even if it was 0% capacity, like anybody and their mother should be signing up for right now. But uh, nah, you're dead on. It's, it's going to be a bummer to not have some of those potentially great uh, environments that we normally get in conference play. Last thing for me, and then I'll let you have the final word. <laughs> so since basically everybody's going to go 25% capacity, is there any chance we see cardboard cutout in stadiums this year Ooh. across the Big 12? That's a good question. I mean, can we do the virtual fans bit like they're kind of like doing uh, across yeah, Major like League Baseball too? Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how that's going to happen. Man, that that would be a good idea to go with the cardboard cutout thing. I mean, there's going to be a ton of people who are pissed. We keep hearing 25% capacity, Tyler. Maybe you've heard something in Norman about how that's going to work, but there's not a whole lot of like talk in Austin about how that's like who's the 25%. Yeah. Right. Like everybody, I think everybody just kind of assumes like, okay, if you're like a, a big money boost or obviously if you're family, you get in, right. If you're family of a player, you're going to get in. Um, but you know, who else gets in, right? Is it just big money boosters? How many students are going to be allowed? Is it just seniors? Is it just grad students? Like, how do you decide which students get in? How do you decide which alumni get in? Like, how do you determine the 25%? There's going to be some pissed off people who might be thinking like, ah, oh, you know, I'll, I'll be in the 25% for sure who don't find their way into games this fall. Uh, curious to see how they handle that. And also curious, yeah, will they do the cardboard cutout bit? I mean, if there's a way to do it for for the school's alumni foundation or you know, preferably for charity, right? If uh, a school partners with some local charity in the city uh, or in the state or wherever to, to kind of raise money, right? You pay for a cardboard cutout and the money goes to a good cause. I'd be on board with that. You're seeing Major League Baseball do something very similar to that. So, yeah, that is uh, something to look out for. But also, yeah, what the hell do they do to try to fill up the, the 25%? That's going to be something to monitor for sure. Well, what, what OU is going to do is they've always operated off a point system. That's how they decide who gets the OU Texas tickets and bowl tickets or whatever. So it's always been important, even if you don't use your tickets, to scan your tickets every home game because that's points, how yeah. long you've had them, how many other – you know, season tickets you have in other sports. Like it just operates off a point system. And to my understanding, that's how OU is going to do it. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how, yeah, how that goes over. I think Texas will do that too. But, you know, once again, with the students, right. Cause the students, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just, I, I mean, it's probably going to be only seniors slash grad students who get in, but God, there's so many of those at Texas and at Oklahoma and at a lot of these schools across the conference, right? Like you could yeah. almost fill up 25% of the stadium with just the senior class, uh, at, at Texas and the grad students at Texas. So yeah, how, uh, how they handle that is, is going to be interesting, but I'm glad we're having conversations like these, Tyler. I'm glad we got the news that we got yesterday. And once again, things could change, but, uh, boy, that was, uh, that was exciting. I celebrated last night, drank a little bit, slept in a little nice. bit today. We, uh, we had some fun, man. That was, that was a uh, great news. What we got from the big 12 conference and uh, reason for optimism. There hasn't been a whole lot of that in any facet of life in 2020, but uh, some reasons for optimism for college football and for Big 12 football this year. It's a beautiful thing. So what's the last thing before we get out of here? Something that you're still waiting to come down the wire until Monday? You know, I am uh, I am curious to see what happens, and we can really dive into this on Monday, uh, what's going to happen with transfers this year. 
Like, is there going to be a way – there's talk about it. I don't think it's going to happen. But is there going to be a way where Big Ten players or Pac-12 players or players from the other conferences that have canceled the season can find a way to transfer to the Big 12 or the conferences that are playing a season? That's going to be something I'm watching for. And also recruiting. What type of impact does this have on the recruiting trail? It's already the weirdest year of recruiting we've ever had. But the Big Ten and the Pac-12, are they going to be screwed this year? Like, are players going to see this and say, you know what, they're not having a season. Like, do they even care about football? that much like what, what's going to happen to 2021 do i want to play there if uh if we've got issues like this so the impact on recruiting is uh is something i'm going to be looking out for too he's brad kellner i'm tyler mccomas we are in defense of the big 12 we'll talk to you monday at 10 a.m central judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply